This is Audible. Doctor Who, Tales of Trenzalore, read by David Trout. Tales of Trenzalore. As it had been foretold, the armies of the universe gathered at Trenzalore. Only one thing stood between the planet and destruction, the Doctor. Only one thing stood between the Doctor and the next great time war, his name. For 900 years he defended the planet and the tiny town of Christmas against the forces that would destroy it. Behind the technology barrier maintained by the Church of the Papal mainframe, at the heart of the truth field, close to the crack between this universe and the next, the Doctor stood steadfast between life and death. He never knew how long he could keep the peace. He never knew what creatures would emerge from the snowy night to threaten him next. He knew only that at the end, he would die on Trenzalore. Some of what happened during those terrible years is well documented, but most of it has remained shrouded in mystery and darkness until now. Brought together in this volume are just four incidents from the time the Doctor spent on Trenzalore. Four stories of heroism and danger. Four stories that document the lengths the Doctor would go to in order to protect the place he had made his home. Four out of hundreds, perhaps thousands. Over time, more stories will surely emerge about how the Doctor protected the town of Christmas and how the townsfolk took him to their heart and cherished the time he bought them. But for the moment, we have only rumors and legends, myths and stories, tales of Trenzalore. It Snow by Justin Richards. Chapter One The Sky Burned. Crantle was used to the lights that punctuated the long nights, the stars and the countless spaceships that orbited Trenzalore, and had done since before his grandfather was born. But this was something different. A trail of fire blazing across the heavens and crashing down on the other side of the high ridge that surrounded the town of Christmas. 
Crantle lived outside the main community. He did the snow run, taking sleds laden with snow to the outlying communities. The snow farm at Christmas was the main source of water for many of the further settlements on Trenzalore. Crantle harvested the snow, packing it into the insulated holds of his sleds. They travelled in a small convoy, Crantle in the lead sled, calling to the dogs, though they knew the route as well as he did. The other sleds followed, roped loosely together, speeding over the frozen ground. When the snow gave way to ice, and the ice slowly gave way to a greener landscape, Crantle lowered wheels beneath the sleds to continue on into the almost perpetual night. A round trip took him over a week. Over a week with no company except the dogs and his own tuneless singing. It would have driven some men insane, but Crantle loved every minute of it. He spent the time between trips looking after the dogs and tending the small heat houses where he grew his own vegetables anything that lessened his dependence on others. Meat and fruit he got in return for the snow he traded. He wasn't due to make another snow run for several days yet, so the burning sky was a curious distraction. Crantle sat in his favourite wooden chair on the front porch and watched the trail of fire blistering past the stars and distant ships. It disappeared behind the ridge in a sudden shower of sparks. In the depths of the night, Two more lines of fire etched a path towards the planet. But Crantle didn't notice them. His attention was on the dying glow where the first fireball had fallen. Meteor was a name somewhere at the back of his memory. A rock falling from the sky. One of the communities that Crantle dealt with was a small mining town. They dug into the ground, into rock, looking for valuable minerals and ores. Perhaps Crantle didn't need to bother digging. Perhaps the rock he'd seen fall had shattered, showering valuable debris across the landscape. It was unlikely, Crantle thought, but as he had nothing better to do, it was worth a look. He lived close to the top of the ridge, so it was probably less than an hour's walk. Even if it wasn't valuable, it might be interesting. The light from the twin moons of Trenzalore revealed a blackened scar across the snow that was a reversal of the trail of fire across the sky. Snow was already covering the burned ground again, the flakes hissing and melting where they fell onto the hotter patches. Crantle walked beside the bare ground, using it as a path to guide him to the meteor, testing the snow ahead of him with his long wooden staff. He could just make out the jagged dark shape of the meteor nudged up against the edge of a wooded area. The moon pine trees swayed gently in the cool breeze, waiting patiently for the few minutes of daylight that would sustain them through the next long night. Crantle peered into the moonlight shadows, half expecting to see the gangly shape of the doctor waiting for him among the trees. If anyone from Christmas came to see what had fallen beyond the ridge, it would be the Doctor. If there was anyone in Christmas that Crantle actually enjoyed talking to, it was the Doctor. There was something about the man that engendered confidence. Somehow, Crantle felt he could be alone with the Doctor. There would be no prying, no polite questions, no pointless conversation simply for the sake of it. But as he reached the end of the charred path through the snow, Crantle saw no one.
In front of him, the meteor was smoking as if it was still on fire. Its jagged side glistened in the moonlight, steaming, melting. Water pooled round the base of it, running back down the wound it had gouged out of the ground. It was about twice Crantle's height, and as deep, a rough sphere rounded by the heat of its arrival. And to Crantle's surprise, it was made of ice. As he approached, it wasn't heat that he felt on his face, but a cold chill. Crantle prodded at the ice with his wooden staff. Stepping closer, he reached out a tentative hand, patting the side of the ice. He could feel the chill through the thick padding of his glove. But something else, too, a faint juddering, a vibration, as if the ice was shivering from its own cold. He wiped his glove across it, clearing the frost and leaving a smooth, glassy surface. It reflected the moons and the stars, their light smeared and distorted on the undulating surface. But beneath the shimmering lights, deep within the ice itself, there was another shape, dark and blurred. A figure? Shuddering, as if it was struggling to move within its icy tomb. A trick of the moonlight, Crantle thought. No one could survive inside a block of ice and this ice had fallen from the sky. No one could be inside it. The sound was like a tree snapping in the wind. A sudden crack, and the whole section of ice in front of Crantle split from top to bottom. A section sheared off, crashing to the ground and shattering like glass. Instinctively, he stepped back. Moments later, a fist punched through the ice close to where his head had been. Sharp, transparent splinters whipped past Crantle's face, stinging his cheeks and catching in his beard. If he cried out in surprise or fear, the sound was lost in the explosion of ice as the creature inside shattered its way out and stood before him. A massive figure, towering above Crantle, encased in dark green armour like a reptilian shell. The face was hidden behind a helmet that covered the head, eyes shielded by dark shutters that reflected Crantle's own frightened face. Thin, bloodless lips pursed in what might have been contempt or amusement. Crantle's only defence was the wooden staff he held. He brandished it in front of him, waiting to see what the creature would do next, trying to decide if he was safest to stand or to run. He didn't expect it to speak. <sighs> Primitive! The towering figure rasped, its voice a harsh whisper. You will surrender to us. It took a lumbering step forwards, reaching out towards Crantle. He reacted without thinking, slamming the heavy wooden staff into the creature's chest. The creature swayed slightly under the impact. Crantle drew back the staff to strike again, but the creature moved faster than he'd anticipated. A clamp-like hand grabbed the staff between the stubby fingers of its gauntlet, ripping it from Crantle's grasp. Then the creature hurled it away, the massive hand now reaching for Crantle instead. He took a step backwards, turned to run. But too late. The creature's armoured hand closed on the back of Crantle's neck. He felt himself lifted into the air. The world was a sudden blur of confused motion, trees, ice, the creature's impassive face, 
snowy ground racing towards him, then darkness. The ice warrior watched the humanoid's inert body for a moment, checking for any signs of continuing life. But there were none. It gave a hiss of satisfaction. Above, the sky was split apart by the blazing path of another ice meteor. A third followed close behind. They impacted one after the other further along the ridge, just inside the tree line. The warrior stepped over Crantle's body and made its way towards the nearest of the meteors. Chapter 2 By the time the Ice Warrior reached the nearer of the two meteors that had crashed down nearby, the warrior inside was already smashing its way out. It stood in a shattered mass of ice, staring out at the night-clad landscape around it. The snowy ridge that stood between them and the small town of Christmas, the undulating terrain, the darkening woods. The two warriors saluted each other with a hiss of satisfaction. So far there was no indication that the church of the papal mainframe had detected their arrival. Inert within the ice, all communications and technology stripped out of their armor, the hope was that there was nothing to detect. No emissions, no processor leakage, no power source. Where is Lord Sardak? The second warrior said. Did you see him arrive? The first warrior gestured towards the woods. His ice capsule came down nearby. They set off at once, lumbering through the snow towards the darkness of the wood. Behind them, a curious figure peered out from behind a scraggy bush. He brushed his icy hair out of his eyes and hurried after the warriors, careful to keep well back and out of sight. When the warriors disappeared into the trees, he waited for a while, anxious not to make any sound that would give away his presence, then followed. Immediately, it was dark. The skeletal branches and gnarled trunks of the trees screened out the pale light of the moons. Ahead of him, he could hear the massive creatures forcing their way through the undergrowth and vegetation. The third meteor had ripped a hole through the canopy of the wood. The huge ball of ice seemed to glow in the moonlight, shining down through the gap between the broken trees. A thick mist clung to the ground as the ice slowly steamed and thawed. The two warriors marched up to the ice, mist swirling round their feet. In unison they raised their huge fists and together smashed them into the ice. Watching from nearby cover, the man who had followed them into the wood saw the warriors tearing away the ice. Finally they stepped back, and a third figure emerged from the shattered remains of the meteor. Slightly shorter than the warriors, sleeker in close-fitting armor that was somehow elegant rather than brutal. A dark cloak hung beneath and behind his elongated helmet, and when he spoke, his voice was less labored than the warrior's rasping tones. Esper, Zontan, you have done well. 
The warriors saluted their lord, fist to breastplate. The components will arrive soon. Esper, the first warrior to arrive, hissed. We must observe, Zondan added. Lord Sardak nodded. These trees obscure the view. Show me the quickest way out of the woods. The warriors turned and headed laboriously back the way they had come. The man watching them pressed himself back into the undergrowth and held his breath. Only when the warriors had passed did he let out a relieved stream of steaming air. It choked off as a heavy fist clamped down on his shoulder. He wasn't a short man, but his head was barely up to the shoulder of the warrior that heaved him out of his hiding place. The creature's free arm was raised, ready to hammer down. The man braced himself for the impact. Wait, Sardak ordered. He strode up to the man and looked down at him. He may be useful. Then he turned and continued to follow the other warrior on his way. The warrior dragged the man roughly after them. At the edge of the wood, the four figures paused. Two huge warriors, the tall, aristocratic ice lord and the disheveled human in a damp, hapless coat. Who are you? Lord Sardak demanded. The man shrugged. I live here, that's all. Saw the fireballs. Came to look. I didn't mean any harm. I, I wasn't going to interfere. Can I go home now? He added hopefully. Sardak leaned down so close that the man could see his own thin face reflected in the dark shields over the Ice Lord's eyes. I am Lord Sardak. These are my warriors, Esper and Zontan. If you try to escape from us, they will kill you. Do you understand? The man nodded furiously. What do you want? First, your name. You can call me Elias. You know this area? Elias nodded. I've lived here a long time. I know it as well as anyone. Sardak gave a hiss of satisfaction. <sighs> then watch. He jabbed his fist at the sky, where four tiny points of light were streaking between the stars, growing steadily brighter and larger. What are they? Elias breathed. Shooting stars? Ice capsules like the ones we arrived in, only much smaller. You mean there's something inside them? More of your warriors? Sardak glared at the man. I said they were smaller. What is inside does not concern you. Seeing where they come down does. Now watch. They stood in silence as the capsules sped towards them, screeching overhead and disappearing into the distance in a blaze of fire. Sparks and flame shot up from each of the four impact points further down the valley. Now tell me, Sardak said, turning to Elias, and I know that this close to the truth field you cannot lie. Can you help us find the capsules? Yes, Elias said. But so many meteors in one night, other people will have noticed they'll be looking too. You mean the doctor? Elias nodded. Anything out of the ordinary, and he's right in the middle of it. You know the doctor. Esper hissed. Everyone knows the doctor. Is he why you're here? Why else? Sardak snarled. Then I'll help you, Elias said. He sighed and nodded. Sardak regarded him closely. 
you would betray your own people. I've done that before, Elias said. There was a tinge of sadness in his tone. Why could you help us? Sondhan demanded. Life has changed here since the doctor came. Before that, if the stories are true, Christmas was a peaceful, happy place. Since the doctor arrived, I've been scared for my life almost every day. So we come trust you, Sardak said. I'll help you find your ice capsules, Elias said. That much is evidently true, but will you betray us? Will you tell the doctor about us, about the capsules? Elias smiled thinly. He wiped the snow from his forehead and eyebrows with the back of his hand. Like he said, I can't lie, not here, and I promise you I shan't say a word to the doctor about you or about what you're doing. Then you will help Esper and me recover the capsules, Sardak said. Serve us well, and we shall let you live. Elias nodded. The nearest of your capsules looked like it came down the glade of Everdell, just past the frozen brook. I'll take you there. He started out across the moonlit landscape, wading through the thick drifts of snow. When he glanced back, he saw that Sardak and Esper were close beside him. But the other warrior, Zontan, had turned and was striding off in the other direction. He's going the wrong way, Elias protested. None of your capsules fell back there. Where's he going? It need not concern you, Zardak hissed. Zontan has a different mission to complete, but we are all working to the same ends. Esper nodded, reaching out a massive arm and pushing Elias forwards. The death of the Doctor. Chapter 3 A group of about a dozen people made their way through the snowy fields towards the ridge. Despite the bright moonlight, they carried lanterns. Several of them had shovels. As they reached the top of the ridge, they split into pairs each heading off in a different direction to continue their search. If he's so keen to find these fireballs, Matthias grumbled, why isn't the doctor with us? He can't be everywhere at once, his wife, Mariah, pointed out. But he's searching too. If he thinks these fireballs are important, then we should look for them. The doctor will find us soon, you'll see. He'll be with some of the others now, and I bet they're not half as grumpy as you are. I didn't have to come. Matthias grunted. Mariah linked her arm through his as they walked onward through the snow. No, you didn't. But here we are. Two hours later, Mariah was the one complaining. She was cold and tired and they had found nothing. Perhaps we should just give up and go back home, she said. As she spoke, a tall, lanky figure hurried up to them, bounding through the snow with enthusiasm. Give up? Oh, we can't give up now. We've only just started. The doctor turned to look up at the sky, opening his mouth wide to let several snowflakes fall in. He snapped his mouth shut. 
Oh, taste that snow. That's a good harvest of snow, that is. Why are we looking for these fireballs, Matthias demanded. What use are they to us? To us, nothing at all. Well then, but they must be useful to someone, or else why send them? Tell me that, eh? Why send them? All right, Mariah challenged. Why? Well, I, I don't know, the doctor admitted. But I think we should find out, don't you? Uh, don't answer that, he added quickly. Look, I've told the others we'll meet in the hollow behind Preacher's Clump in an hour, all right? Johan is setting a fire and old Tom said he'll organize a barbecue breakfast. That's what's so great about the long nights here. You're never far from breakfast. So, I'll see you there, yes? Yes, all right, Matthias agreed. He couldn't help smiling at the doctor's energetic demeanor. The doctor himself was already hurrying off back through the snow, half running, half jumping. And if you find a fireball, bring it along, he called back. So long as it's not too hot to handle. The best way to recover the ice capsules before anyone else stumbled across them was to split up. Esper was reluctant to allow the human to go off on his own, but Sardak seemed unworried. Later, as Esper returned with the second of the ice capsules, there was no sign of Elias. He will not betray us, Sardak assured the warrior. He gave us his word. Is the word of a human to be trusted? Sardak's thin lips twisted into a slight smile. Not to trust him would be dishonorable, but he gave us assurances, and the truth field means he was not lying. What if he does not return? It makes little difference, Sardak said. But here he is. Sure enough, Elias was stumbling back towards them through the snow. He stopped to catch his breath before speaking. There are people, he gasped at last, from the town. I think they're searching for your ice capsules too. Did they see you? Esper demanded. I know how to stay hidden when I want to. Have you located any of the capsules? Sardak asked. Elias shook his head. You? Two, Sardak said. They were close together. He stepped aside to reveal the capsules lying in the snow behind him. Each was a rough sphere of ice, about the size of the balls the Christmas children kicked around for amusement. Inside its glistening heart, Elias could see the shadowy shape of something frozen inside. What is it? he asked. The first components, Sardak told him. Now we must find the others before the humans stumble across them. One of them came down the other side of that wooded area, Elias said. It's a bit further, but you'll be quicker skirting around the edge than trying to go through. And the fourth, Esper hissed. Down in the valley, I think. That's where the people I saw were heading. Then we should go there first, Esper said. They'll see you, Elias pointed out. And I'd be quicker. No disrespect, he added quickly. But if you're hoping to keep this all secret, maybe I should look for that capsule and you get the other one. Sardak reached out and grasped Elias's shoulder as he considered. You will tell no one about us, about our presence here, he snarled. Say it. Of course, 
Elias's face was twisted with pain. I'll tell no one. Sardak loosened his grip. That is good, because if you do, Esper will kill you. I don't doubt that for a moment, Elias said, rubbing his shoulder. He forced a smile. So, I'll meet you back here then, shall I? Sardak waited until the human was almost out of sight before giving Esper his orders. Follow him. If the humans have already found the capsule, you will recover it. They will know we are here soon enough, once Sontan completes his mission. Further down the slopes, Zontan had almost reached the town. The massive ice warrior lumbered through the snow, heading directly towards his target. His mission was simple and straightforward, and once completed, would lead inevitably to the death of the Doctor. By the time Mariah and Matthias joined the others by the fire, there was a pig roasting on a spit, and several local farmers had turned out to see what was going on. There were perhaps twenty people sitting round, warming themselves and enjoying the smell of the imminent breakfast. Mariah knew most of them, but not all. Some of the farmers and scavengers out here beyond the ridge kept themselves to themselves. The doctor was sitting cross-legged a little way from the fire. In his hands, he was turning over what looked like a large ball of ice, juggling it so as not to get too cold. Finally, he set it down on the ground in front of him and leaned forward to stare intently at it. Is that what you've been looking for? Mariah asked as she and Matthias sat down beside him. Yes, he answered absently. Then his face cracked into a wide grin as he looked up at them. So you came. Breakfast. Can't wait. What is it? Matthias asked. It's a meal you have first thing in the morning. You mean to tell me you've never had breakfast before? Oh, you are in for such a treat. He means the ice ball, Mariah explained. We know what breakfast is. The doctor nodded. Oh, yes, of course you do. If only this was as easy as breakfast. He picked up the ice ball again. Look, there's something inside. Can you see? He held it out so that the flickering flames of the fires shone through the melting ice. Why put something inside the ice? Mariah wondered. Or did it get caught in a frost? No, this was deliberate to get it past the technology scanners. The doctor tossed the ball into the air and caught it again. It falls past, the contents inert and passive. Just a meteor with some metallic composition. No one gives it a thought. Except you, Matthias said. There are always exceptions. And I am exceptional. He rolled the balls closer to the fire. Its surface glistened and water dripped from it as it started to melt. Inside is a component, a part of something. Part of what? Mariah wondered. A weapon? Who knows? But they'll want to collect the pieces and put it together. As soon as they use it, our friends upstairs will know, of course. The doctor glanced up at the starlit heavens. So whatever it is, must be pretty devastating. A one-shot shop. Or it does something that won't reveal it as unexpected technology. 
He leaned forward to watch the water now running down the side of the ice ball as it thawed and shrank from the dark shape inside. Intriguing, isn't it? But if it's part of something, Mariah said slowly, won't whoever sent it be looking for the pieces? The doctor straightened up. Ah, he said. Oh. What? Well, two things, really. First, you're right. And second, prompted Matthias. Second, I think they're here. He nodded towards the darkness beyond the fire. Mariah could just make out a shape approaching, a huge figure lumbering through the snow towards them. Chapter 4 Matthias, the doctor said quietly, get everyone back away from the fire. It's come for the ice ball. Don't get in its way. Just let it through. Several people had seen the creature now. They leapt to their feet. One man, Jedka, brandished a shovel. Who are you? What do you want? He shouted. Matthias pulled Jedka out of the way as the huge creature lashed out at him. Its massive fist caught the end of the shovel, sending it spinning away. Back, Matthias yelled. Everyone back out of its way. Let it get the ice ball and it'll just go away. What is it? Mariah asked as they all gathered on the far side of the fire. Ice warrior, the doctor told her quietly. It'll swat you away like a fly if you try to stop it. No sense of humour, though. Not a lot of laughs with the ice warriors. One of the men was slower than the others getting out of the creature's way. The warrior shoved him roughly aside. The man cartwheeled away in a flurry of snow and cries of pain. Matthias, the doctor prompted. He didn't need telling again. Matthias grabbed the ball of ice from beside the fire and hurled it at the approaching warrior. It narrowly missed the warrior's head and landed in the snow nearby. At the edge of the group, one of the farmers turned and ran, hurrying back to the safety of his home, no doubt. Perhaps he was the sensible one, Mariah thought. Ignoring the people now, the ice warrior reached down to retrieve the melting ball of ice, grasping it firmly, then turning and stamping away back into the night. Immediately, several people hurried to help Benedict, the man who had been knocked aside. What now? Matthias asked as the creature was swallowed up by the darkness. Well, we need to get back to Christmas, the doctor said. At least I do. Why don't you all stay and have breakfast? Make sure Benedict is all right. But that ice warrior creature has what it came for, Mariah said. Part of a weapon, you said. Yes, but they've got to put it together yet, the doctor told her. Insert tab A into slot B and all that. It'll take them ages, and then they'll probably get it all wrong and have to start again. I always do, so we're quite safe. You really think so? The doctor sighed. No, not for a moment. We're on the very edge of the truth field here, but even so I can't lie to you. This is just the beginning. So, like I said, I need to find out what's really going on. 
and you all need to eat your breakfast. He stared off into the darkness, the ice warrior's footsteps stamped through the snow showing where it had gone. I think you're going to need it. Elias was angry. Esper and Sardak watched impassively as he stamped in the snow and waved his arms. You could have hurt someone. Actually, you did hurt someone. There was no need. I had it all in hand. You were there with the other humans, Esper hissed. Of course I was. They know me. I live near here. They weren't surprised when I showed up. I was waiting for a chance to retrieve your precious ice capsule. Was the doctor present? Sardak demanded. Of course. He was examining the ice capsule, which is why I couldn't get it. But he put it down near the fire to melt while they all ate breakfast. Another few minutes and I could have sneaked it away without them even noticing. Instead, your warrior blundered in and started throwing people about. So if the doctor didn't know you were here before, he certainly does now. For several moments, the only sound was the rasping breath of the ice warriors. Then Sardak decided. It is unimportant. I have recovered the other capsule, so we have them all, and soon Zondan will complete his mission. So what happens to me? Elias asked quietly. Keep away from the town, and you will survive. You mean I can go? You have served us well, as you promised. We shall honor our agreement. You're not worried I'll warn anyone? Sardak gave a throaty, coughing laugh. It is too late to warn them now. If you are in Christmas when we execute our plan, then you will die with the Doctor and the others. You'll kill innocent people as well as the Doctor? Esper stepped menacingly towards the man. Casualties are inevitable. Be thankful that you helped the Ice Warriors, that you know of our plans. Oh, I am, Elias told him. Believe me, I am. For a moment he held the warrior's impassive gaze, staring into the depths of its shuttered eyes. Then he turned without another word and walked off into the snow. Stealth was all important until Zontan had completed his mission. Until then, he needed to remain unobserved. The massive warrior was not used to hiding and avoiding confrontation. If he had been able to bring his sonic disruptor, he could simply have walked in and completed his task. But the Grand Marshal had insisted they could not take the risk of the disruptor being detected. No weapons, no communications, just standard armor and the inert components that Lord Sardak and Esper would now be retrieving and assembling. So Zontan remained in the shadows, concealed where the night was darkest, beside an old barn at the edge of the town of Christmas. His destination was within sight, also right at the edge of town. Massive metal gates across a snow-strewn pathway leading up to the main building. Inside, Zontan knew, was what he sought. The machinery was automated but several humans were present to ensure it ran smoothly. Occasionally, one would emerge from the warmth of the interior to look at the sky 
and perhaps make a note of how much snow was swirling through the air. As the night progressed, Zontan built up a picture of the human schedule. How often they checked outside, how frequently they serviced the machines, when the humans were replaced by other humans. Finally, at what he calculated to be the optimum time, Zontan emerged from the darkness and marched towards the metal gates. Flickering lamps powered by Christmas's inefficient and unreliable generators cast distorted, broken shadows of the warrior across the ground. A thick chain secured the gates, looped through the metal and held by a large padlock. Zontan ignored the chain and forced the gates open. The chain clanked and protested, shrieked and snapped, broken links scattering in the snow. As Zontan approached the main building, the snow around him thickened. He could see the flakes swirling upwards from a wide chimney thrust high into the night sky, silhouetted stark against one of the moons. As they swirled up from the snow farm, the flakes were so tightly packed they looked like a thin column of steam. The heavy wooden doors to the main building opened easily. For a moment, Zontan stood on the threshold, checking for any signs of life from inside. All he could hear was the heavy clanking of the turning cogs and gears, the slopping of the water from the spring below the ground, gurgling up into the snow chambers. The compressors that chilled the air to below freezing, and the whir of the fans that blew the new-formed snow up and out of the chimney to disperse across the landscape ready for harvesting. It took him a few moments to find the main control section. Even the massive warrior was dwarfed by the ancient machinery as he stood at the simple panel, inspecting the various levers and dials, switches and readouts. Zontan gave a hiss of quiet satisfaction as he located the controls he needed. A lever pushed to maximum, a wheel clicked forward several notches, a valve opened to its full extent. Zontan waited as the new settings took effect. The machinery responded sluggishly and inefficiently, but the sound of the huge engines deepened and the noise of the rushing water intensified. Needles swung to the full extent of their dials, the glass snow chambers turned from swirling globes of white flakes to a cloudy mass of congealed snow. There was just one thing left to do. Zontan gripped the sides of the control panel in his powerful fists and ripped it away. With the controls locked at maximum, the thin trail of steam-like flakes from the main chimney became a billowing cloud as the snow blizzarded out across Christmas. Chapter 5 The doctor had not been back in the clock tower for more than a few minutes when there was a hammering on the door. Here for centuries and not a moment's peace and quiet, he muttered as he went to answer it. All right, I'm coming, he called out as the hammering increased. On the wooden step outside was a bedraggled boy in a cap that was too large for his head and pulled down low over his eyes. Snow was piled up on top of the cap. The overall effect was rather comical, 
but the doctor knew from experience that it was not tactful to laugh out loud. Instead, he allowed himself a smile. Uh, Simon, isn't it? the doctor said. He lifted the boy's cap off his head, shook the snow off and returned it to its cranial position. What can I do for you? Broken your rill puppet again, have you? The boy was breathless, presumably from all that hammering on the door. It's snowing, he finally managed to gasp. The doctor smiled indulgently. It's Christmas. It's always snowing. No, but it's really snowing. The doctor frowned. Simon's cap was almost in need of another emptying. The snow farm? He peered past the boy, hoping to make out the distant chimney. But the air was thick with snow and he could barely see across the square. I think maybe it's gone wrong. I thought you should know. I think I should, the doctor agreed. Thank you, Simon. Tell anyone you see that they'd better stay inside until this blizzard is over, will you? That includes you. Get home and stay indoors. The boy turned to go. Then he hesitated. One last question. Are you staying indoors too, then? The doctor fixed him with a sympathetic look. It's snow like this, no chance. Handles, he called. Mind the shop while I'm gone. If anyone calls, tell them no. He retrieved his coat from a hook on the back of the door, toyed briefly with the notion of a hat, then turned his collar up and headed out into the blizzard. It really was very cold, he thought, and very blizzardy. Definitely real snow. Well, snow from the snow farm, but rather more of it than was intended. There was a chance, just a chance, that something had gone wrong. But if he was a betting man, then the doctor would have put good money, if he had any, on the snow being connected to whatever the ice warriors were up to. With this in mind, he headed not for the snow farm itself, but for a point between the snow farm and the ridge above the town. Visibility was down to just a few meters, and he seemed to be spending more time than he'd like blinking snow out of his eyes. But dimly through the whiteout, he finally managed to discern the large lumbering form of an ice warrior. Clearly in its element, the creature was wading through the deepening drifts as it made its way up the incline. The snow was getting heavier. The doctor guessed that the warrior had angled the output from the main chimney towards the ridge. But why? He trudged on, his coat thick with snow now. It was in his hair and in his eyebrows. His boots seemed about twice the size they had been when he set off. He paused to shake himself suddenly and violently, like a large upright dog back from a bracing swim. It wouldn't be long before he'd have to do it again, he knew, but it helped. Less encrusted, the doctor pressed on, following the warrior as it made its way inexorably onwards. He kept well back, but had to judge it carefully. He didn't want the warrior to see him, but too far away, and he'd lose sight of the warrior. And the creature's footprints offered little help as they filled up almost as soon as they appeared. The ice warrior crested the ridge. It stood for a moment, silhouetted against the snow-strewn moonlight, 
looking back down into the valley where the town of Christmas lay nestled beneath a thickening white blanket. The doctor sheltered behind a mount of snow, pressing himself into its cold embrace, listening for any clue that the warrior had moved on. But all he could hear was the sigh and whisper of the wind. After a while, he risked peeking over the top of the mound. The warrior had gone. The doctor struggled out of the mass of snow and up the final slope. His legs sank in up to his knees, and so it was like wading through treacle. Not that he had ever actually waded through treacle, but if he ever did, this was surely what it would be like. At the top, he paused for breath and to wipe his eyes clear of snow. Through the swirling flakes, he could see the warrior ahead of him. In fact, he could see two ice warriors and an ice lord, all standing around a collection of metal components, and all staring back at him. He waved. Getting down the slight incline to join them was easier than struggling up the slope. The doctor half ran and half tumbled into the scooped-out hollow where the warriors were waiting. They had chosen an area in the shadow of a clump of moon pines, so the blizzard was less fierce here. They seemed to be partway through assembling whatever device the various components from the ice capsules made when fitted together. The doctor took it in at a glance, then, his suspicions confirmed, turned his attention to the Ice Lord. It was best if they didn't think he was at all interested in what they were building. Well, isn't this cosy, the doctor said, clapping his gloved hands together so that they sprayed a snowy mist. I think the weather's taken a turn for the worse. He nodded at the nearest of the two warriors. I assume that was your doing. Nipped off down to the snow farm, did you? Pumped up the volume? That was my mission, Santan hissed. Well, jolly good, well done. The doctor clapped his hands together again. Keep the snow harvesters in business for a while, I should think, until we get it fixed. It will not be fixed, Lord Sardak told him. You think? I know. The town will be destroyed long before the damage can be repaired. I see, the doctor nodded sadly. To kill one person, you're prepared to destroy a whole town. It's a strange concept of honor you have. You know nothing of honor, Sardak snarled. We are here to prevent a war that would kill countless billions. You don't need to kill anyone, the doctor told him levelly. You knew why we were here, Sardak said, standing close to the doctor, staring down at him. We want you to stay away from the town. We have kept honor with you. I suppose you have, the doctor agreed quietly. So why have you returned, Elias? Chapter 6 I came to warn you, the doctor said. Amongst other things, he added, as it was impossible to lie, but he didn't have to elaborate. Warn us, Esper gave a coughing laugh. We fear nothing. Oh, I believe you, but I came to warn you anyway. Warn us what? Sardak demanded. That the doctor knows what you are planning. 
Our plans are too advanced for him to stop us now. Are you sure about that? The doctor shrugged. Well, you can't lie, so I suppose you must be. But you're wrong. The doctor knows nothing, Sontan said. How could he? He's not stupid. He knows you've sabotaged the snow farm. Only one reason to do that. Which is? Sardak said. To make snow, obviously. Lots of snow, lots and lots and lots of snow, and most of it directed up here to the ridge above the town. Doesn't take a genius, though of course the doctor is a genius, though I say so myself. He frowned. Uh, scrub that, forget I said it. The doctor is not a genius, Zontan asked, evidently confused. Uh, no, the other bit. He is a genius, but, uh, but, but look, don't worry about it. I'm just saying that what you're planning is clever, I grant you, but it's pretty obvious, and it's doomed to failure. Sardak took a step closer to the doctor, regarding him suspiciously. There is something different about you, Elias. Everyone's different. That's what makes us who we are. No, different from before. You seem more confident. You seem angry. Frustrated, too, the doctor agreed. Why? Because before, I was just helping you get your bits and pieces together. Now I'm trying to save your lives. And just for the hell of it, everyone else's lives too. But consider that a bonus if you like. And how can you save our lives? By persuading you to give up and leave. Just go. The doctor can take you up to the papal mainframe ship in the orbit up there. He pointed at a particular bit of the sky. Then moved his finger to a point at a different bit of sky. I'm sorry, I meant up there. We have our orders. Sardek said. The doctor must die. It is regrettable that others will die too. If you know our plan, you must stay here with us, Esper said. That decision is so wrong, I won't even start to explain why, the doctor told him. Sardak's fist shot out and grabbed the doctor's shoulder, grasping it painfully tight. How do you know what we are constructing? The doctor guessed from the component he saw in the ice capsule. The doctor shook himself free. It's clever, I'll give you that. A sonic emission will just seem like the doctor playing with his sonic screwdriver. No cause for alarm upstairs. Not until it's over and the doctor is dead. And even then, it'll seem like an accident, won't it? That's why you need all the snow. Our mission is compromised, Esper hissed angrily. Of course it is, the doctor countered. That's what I've been trying to tell you. The doctor knows everything. Sardak turned away with a snarl. He cannot know everything. He would have evacuated the town. It was too late by the time he worked it out. No one can escape in this blizzard. Not far enough, fast enough anyway. The doctor, he repeated, knows everything. Everything except the exact frequency of your cannon. But he reckons that to do the job, to shear the snow face, it must be on a setting of what? About 
73.5, something like that. 74.2, Sardak replied. His whole body seemed to stiffen slightly as he spoke, as if he was surprised by his own words. Yes, the doctor said quietly. The truth field does that sometimes, catches you unawares. It still gets me now and again, which can be very embarrassing, I don't mind telling you. He took a step backwards as Sardak approached. The snow was piling up and it was difficult to move without falling over. The Ice Lord stood in front of the Doctor, towering over him, snow sprinkled across his helmet, shoulders and breastplate. Behind him, the other two warriors watched impassively, standing brutal against the undulating white landscape. When we first met, Sardak said slowly, I asked you your name. So you did, Lord Sardak. You said your exact words were, You can call me Elias. Well, I'll take your word for it. The doctor grinned to show how unconcerned he was. It was about the only way to lie here. But that is not an answer to the question. If you had answered, you would have to tell the truth. But instead, you made a statement that did not answer. You can call me Elias is not a lie, but it does not reveal your name. It's clever, though, you have to admit. The doctor backed away, wading awkwardly through the snow. As he reached the edge of the hollow, it was getting deeper, up to his knees. It did the trick. <sighs> a trick, Esper echoed, lumbering forwards with surprising speed. Zontan was close behind him. What is your name? Sardak demanded. Tell me, or my warriors will kill you. And if I do tell you, I think they'll kill me anyway. Though in fact, and this really is the truth, saying my name, my actual real name, is the very last thing you want. Really. Who are you? Sardak roared. The snow swirled round the doctor's head. It lodged cold and wet in his mouth as he grinned. I thought you'd never ask. He said, I'm the doctor. Even though Sardak must have been expecting this, the revelation stunned him for a moment. For just long enough for the doctor to turn and fling himself out of the hollow. He ploughed through the snow, struggling to put distance between himself and his would-be assassins. From behind, he could hear a confused hissing and snarling as the warriors came after him. For all their clumsy size, they were in their element. The snow slowed them down, but nothing like as much as it encumbered the Doctor. It was an inconvenience to them. It could be the death of him. He struggled onwards, flailing like a drowning swimmer, sank into the snow so deep the world went first moonlit white and then deathly dark. Somehow he escaped the cold embrace, flopping over the edge of the ridge and looking down towards the distant lights of Christmas, all but blotted out by the snow. It looked further away than usual, and the doctor realised this was because it was. The constant snow had raised the level of the ridge, tons of it falling across the frozen ground. The flakes were so close together now it was like an unbroken white curtain descending across the valley. He felt himself falling forwards, his centre of gravity over the point of no return, about to tumble into the void. Then he stopped. 
pain seared through the doctor's lower leg as something viciously strong clamped tight about his ankle. Abruptly, he was dragged back through the snow, scrabbling to get a grip and stop the movement, hands grasping only handfuls of cold, wet white. The grip loosened slightly as the warrior, he couldn't see which one, reached forward for a better hold on the doctor. He felt his coat yanked violently and knew he had only one chance. With a cry of pain and exertion and more than a little anger and hope, he yanked his foot free. In the same movement, he shrugged out of his coat and plunged forwards again. Cold became freezing. His face was full of snow, biting into his skin and eating through his clothes. A dark blur to his side as the other warrior charged through the snow, sending up a blizzard of its own. The warrior behind him lunged forwards again with a snarl of rage. Then he crested the ridge for the second time, and now nothing held him back. The doctor's cry changed from hope and pain to fear and surprise as he tumbled forwards, rolling into a ball of ungainly arms and legs that gathered snow and speed as it plunged down the slope. As he realised that he was free and clear, he opened his mouth to yell a final defiant cry of Geronimo! But his mouth filled with snow and it became a choking cough of excruciating cold. On the ridge above, if he had been able to see through the tangle of flailing limbs and the veil of falling snow, the doctor might have made out three figures standing dark and impassive, silhouetted against a full moon, proud and defiant. He has escaped us, Zontan rasped. There is no escape from the Ice Warriors, Sardak declared. He is returning to the human settlement, Esper said. Lord Sardak nodded. There was perhaps just a hint of regret in his voice, just a suggestion that he admired the man who had tricked them. Where he will die. Chapter 7 The thing about ice warriors is that they're efficient, but not really all that subtle. The doctor's voice was muffled as his head was inside the casing of the main control panel. There was a flash, a smell of singed hair, and a bump as his head connected sharply with the top of the casing. Are you all right? Matthias asked. The doctor's head slowly withdrew. As well as the fact he was soaking wet, he now had a black mark down one side of his face. I think that's the live one, he said, which is good. It's terrific. It means I'm nearly there. He reached his arms into the snow farm controls again, pushing most of his upper body after them. Matthias and the others gathered round, watching patiently. Snow was blowing in under the door. Finally, the doctor's head withdrew again. Well, that should do it, he said brightly. Everyone turned to look at the snow chambers, which were still whited out. The doctor frowned and thumped the side of the damaged console. That should do it. Sure enough, the globes slowly began to clear. Moments later, the main doors opened and a rather bedraggled Simon ran in. It's stopping, he gasped. The snow's stopping. 
I'll fix this properly later, the doctor said, jamming the damaged control panel back on top of the unit. Got to fix those ice warriors first. Right, everyone in the square outside the clock tower in five minutes. The air was crisp and cold, but for once the sky was clear. The moons and stars and spaceships cast a combinative luminance across the square where the locals gathered. The snow was over their boots, cladding the buildings in thick white blankets. Right, the doctor announced. Council of War, or Council of Siege, anyway. Perhaps it's an emergency committee, but whatever we call it, I thought I'd better warn you all. He broke off, lips pressed tight together and forehead lined with concentration. A warning, that's what it is. Knew I'd get there eventually. Sorry for the confusion, but yes, a warning. What about? Mariah asked. Well, about that, mostly. The doctor pointed past the clock tower, up at the ridge. Snow. There was an expectant silence. The doctor nodded. Yeah, got your attention now, haven't I? Snow. Lots and lots of snow. And a couple of ice warriors with their lord Sardak who arranged it all. In particular, they arranged for it to fall on the ridge, piling up deep and crisp and even. Well, perhaps not that even... Possibly not very crisp, but certainly deep. Oh, yes, I can confirm that deep it certainly is. Are they going to build snowmen? Simon asked. The other children with him giggled and laughed. One of them stuffed a snowball down the back of Simon's neck, making him shriek. No, the doctor said patiently, not snowmen. They are building something, though. It's a sonic cannon. Out of the things that fell in the ice balls? Matthias asked. Exactly. They've got all the bits and pieces, so we don't have long until they have it assembled. And is a sonic cannon like a sonic screwdriver? Mariah wanted to know. Very similar. Same principle, but much more powerful. Which is why they've brought it. OK, so they do use a lot of sonic technology, but if they fire their sonic cannon, the emission will just seem like my sonic screwdriver going off, which happens all the time. They're going to shoot at us, someone asked from the back of the crowd. No, actually, that's the clever thing. They need to make it look like an accident or a natural event, so there's no suspicion that the ice warriors were involved or even here. Make what look like a natural event? Simon asked, scraping snow off the back of his neck. The doctor looked at him like he'd just asked whether adding one and two made three. The avalanche, he said. It took a while for the doctor to restore calm and make himself heard. Look, don't blame me, I'm just telling you their plan. They have a sonic cannon set to resonate on a setting of... He paused to check his sonic screwdriver. A setting of 74.2. They'll aim it at the base of the snowfall on the ridge and shear away that entire section. The whole lot slides down the slope, gathering speed and more snow as it goes. I'm sure they've done the calculations, so by the time it reaches us here, there will be 10 
tens of tons of ice and snow, not to mention any other debris picked up along the way. It will shatter the buildings, bury the town, kill everyone. Simple. There was utter silence now. On the ridge above the town, three dark figures could be seen moving a large, cumbersome object into position. Moonlight glinted on the bare metal of the sonic cannon as the ice warriors aimed it down at the snow. So, the doctor said, looking round at the assembled townsfolk. Any questions? Chapter 8 Lord Sardak watched as Zontan calibrated the sonic cannon. Esper was examining the snow piled on the ridge, working out the exact position and depth to aim the sonic beam. It was a moment that should have been full of pride and accomplishment, the culmination of Sardak's mission. But the doctor's words had unsettled him. Not just the comments about civilian casualties. That was war, and Sardak was well-versed in war. But why had the doctor returned? Why had he risked his life to warn them, unless he truly believed that their plan was going to fail? He went over the details again in his mind. The best plans were the most simple, and this was elegant in its simplicity. No, nothing could go wrong. We are ready to fire, Lord Sardak, Zondan reported. The point of impact has been calculated. The sonic cannon is set to 74.2. The doctor knows the frequency we are using, Esper pointed out. We cannot change it now, Sardak told him. It has been calculated as the exact frequency necessary to melt a layer of snow of the optimum thickness to provoke an avalanche. He may know the settings, Zontan said, but he can do nothing. This is our element. The snow is our friend. Begin the power-up sequence, Sardak ordered. He stepped closer to the brow of the ridge, looking down at the lights in the valley below. He could see people gathered outside the clock tower. It would be a quick death for them, at least. Prepare to fire. The doctor seemed more preoccupied with adjusting his sonic screwdriver than he did answering all the questions. At last he gave the device a final prod and looked up. Well, obviously there isn't going to be an avalanche, he said. A low rumble came from the ridge behind them, rising slowly in volume and pitch. They're preparing to fire, the doctor explained. I did warn them. Now then, he raised his sonic screwdriver. 72.4, I said, didn't I? No, Matthias told him. You said 74.2. Did I? The doctor frowned. Are you sure? Yes. I don't think so. Yes, you did, Simon shouted. Perhaps we should take a vote on it. Doctor, Mariah warned. She pointed up at the ridge. Whatever you need to do, just do it. The doctor looked too, to see three ice warriors standing beside the sonic cannon. 
The noise continued to rise and increase. Right. 74.2. Although, he told Matthias, if you're wrong and a shed load or more of snow comes down that slope, on your head be it. That seems likely, Matthias muttered. The doctor turned back to face the ridge. He raised his sonic screwdriver and hoped his calculations were right. The tip of the sonic screwdriver glowed fiercely, and the device emitted a high-pitched whine. People clapped their hands over their ears as the sound drilled into their heads. What are you doing? Mariah gasped. Wave enhancement, the doctor said over the increasing noise. They're using sound waves to melt the snow. If I hit the right frequency, I can enhance the wave they're using. And what will that do? Melt more of the snow faster than they intended. A lot faster. How will that help? The doctor smiled sadly. I did warn them, he said. Wait and see. Power-up sequence completed, Suntan reported. The sonic cannon will fire in three, two, one. As he spoke, another sound was added to the noise of the cannon. A high-pitched whine emanating from the town below. In the square, Sardak could see the doctor standing on the steps up to the clock tower, hand raised in defiance. Holding something. His sonic screwdriver. 74.2. The doctor knew the sonic setting. Esper gave a snarl of anger and realization at the same moment as Sardak saw the danger. No! He roared at Zontan. But too late. The sonic cannon fired into the mass of snow in front of them. Zontan stared at the controls, transfixed and confused by what they told him. Enhanced and amplified by the doctor's sonic wave, the readings leapt off every scale. Esper moved quickly. He lunged for Sardak, wrapping his arms round his lord in a desperate effort to protect him. They both knew it was a futile gesture. The sonic beam scythed into the snow. Not a directed, focused beam of heat, but a huge explosion of massive intensity. The whole ridge disappeared in less than a second. Melting, boiled, vaporized in an instant. The entire landscape became a sudden cloud of superheated steam blasting outwards. The sonic cannon melted in moments. The last thing Lord Sardak saw over the glistening molten shoulder of his warrior's armor was a white fog. Then the shields over his eyes ignited in the heat and the steam exploded through his armor, boiling the flesh from his body. The doctor clicked off his sonic screwdriver and stuffed it into his jacket pocket. A long, low cloud was rising like mist from the top of the ridge. When it cleared, the ice warriors and their weapon were gone, along with most of the snow. For a moment there was silence, then a scattering of applause. Someone slapped the doctor on the shoulder. Old Adam was playing a tune on his tin whistle. 
the applause became clapping in time to the music. People were starting to dance. You did it again, a voice said. Maybe it was Matthias. He wasn't really listening. Yes, he'd done it again. Every life saved was a bonus. Every hour, day, year he bought the town was to be cherished. He watched the mist thinning and dispersing in the cold night air. Every hour, day, year had a cost. There would be tales told, plays acted, embellishments added. But no one would remember Lord Sardak or Zontan or Esper. No one except the doctor. Well, he'd warned them. It was their choice. Quietly, he pushed them gently into a safe place in his memory along with all the others. Then he grinned, clapped his hands together and joined in the dancing.